2: Football Social Daily, the Premier League
3: podcast.
2: What could you buy with £6.7 billion? Well, whatever you wanted, really houses, yachts, cars, watches, or five seasons worth of Premier League games. The latest top flight broadcast rights deal has been announced here in the UK and it's worth an eye-watering amount of money. We'll talk about that on today's podcast as well as the two games tonight as we begin the midweek slate of fixtures for early December. It's Wolves against Burnley at Molyneux and the Gunners are at the Kenny as Luton Town host league leaders Arsenal. This is FSD, an award-winning Premier League podcast. Hit follow or subscribe now and never miss a show. All of the latest top flight news and opinion is on the way
0: next. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. group prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: This is Football Social Daily and joining me as ever, Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning, boys. Good morning. Good morning. Premier League's back on Amazon tonight, lads. Two games that we're going to talk about, Wolves against Burnley and Luton against Arsenal. You can
3: take your pick. <laughs> Good. Love it. I I I really enjoy the Amazon. I mean, they get like three games a year or something, don't they? And pay, God knows what for it. But it is really good Amazon. I I enjoy being able to watch it on your phone in good quality. Um, and the commentary team tends to be better. You you tend to get a bit of midweek Ali McCoist, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, it's it's not the greatest games to watch tonight. But tomorrow looks uh, looks a bit more interesting. Well, whatever
1: game it is tonight, I'll be choosing the opposite of what you're choosing based on your selection at the weekend, Marley, when you had all the games to choose from and you chose, what was it, West Ham and Palace? I didn't watch it.
3: I said twice on the <laughs> podcast, I went to the tip instead of watching it, and you're like, oh, you watched West Ham, Crystal Palace, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? what no, I didn't. Cockney accent from? Yeah, well, it's
1: two, two Cockney teams, <laughs> isn't it? You couldn't pay me to watch that. The only issue now is the Amazon contract's finished after this season, so... You have to wave goodbye to your beloved Amazon, Marley. Yeah,
2: before we talk about the games tonight, actually, it's quite funny because yesterday on the podcast, Marley, you're getting the sea, Your Monday moan was the fact that there were loads of games at two o'clock on Sunday. And the one that was selected for TV coverage in the UK was West Ham against Crystal Palace. But this new broadcast deal, which has just been brokered, which sees Sky Sports here in the UK keep the rights for the Premier League until 2029. They're going to change Super Sunday. And they're going to give you the choice of two o'clock kickoffs, which means that you won't be stuck with West Ham Palace. So there you go. Your moan yesterday has already been resolved.
3: I mean, I don't want to say I'm key to the Premier League strategy and decision making (laughs) team, but I'm not going to deny it um, because they clearly listen to the podcast. And why wouldn't they? I heard you you
1: comparing it to a tip and thought, yeah, we need to sort of Marley's TV coverage out. If that
3: guy's gone to the tip to to chuck a few uh, bin bags out, then, you know. (laughs) It must be, must be doing something wrong, but, but even, hang on, even in that, like they're going to give people the choice, right? Which sounds fine, but also does that, does that not mean that people are gone? Like if you give like five people a choice, you're probably going to get three of them or four of them watching the same match because the one match is always going to be more enticing than the others. So does that mean that whoever's left at the bottom of the pile, they won't get any viewers on their games? Is that right? They'll still get paid the same though. Yeah, the clubs will, yeah. But the um but the you know, the subscribers, the actual um, you know, viewers won't be won't be very good, will they? Are you worried about Sky Sports profitability? Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying it doesn't really make much much business sense to pay for I think it isn't it like eight million a game or five million a game or something like that, and you're gonna put five on at the same time, and people are only gonna watch. you know way more people well
2: i think the way this new deal works is they've paid a little bit more but they do get more games and all games in the premier league are broadcast live somewhere anyway even the ones that we don't get to see in the uk will be beamed around the world somewhere so i don't think it's an extra expense for the broadcaster to show the games i'm sure it will be somewhere down the line but i don't think it's as significant as maybe it might seem at the end of the day, it's the way football's going, though, isn't it? People want more live coverage. They want to consume more live matches. So we kind of have been braced for this for a while, and the rights battle will go on and on and on because it's international broadcasters that pay the big money, which keeps the Premier League at the top of the pile in terms of
3: European football. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, Sky are always desperate to, to be at the top of that. You know, when I don't think we're ever going to be in a position where Sky don't get the, you know, four out of the five TV packages or or the ma- the vast majority of it. So disappointing that Amazon have gone, but they've they've clearly looked at it and gone, this is so much expense for three games, three game weeks a year or whatever. They usually have the two in December. They have Boxing Day I think as well. And then the start of December, which is obviously tonight's games and Wednesday and 30s games. Uh and then that's kind of it. So for them it doesn't really make much sense. Skyro is going to hoover everything up and then whatever whatever form of BT, TNT, whatever you want to call it, Satanta it was years ago, mm. if you remember that, that came and went yeah, quicker I than do a remember. fart in the wind type of thing. Um, so that, that, was, that was it. It's always going to be a vast majority and 2029 is, you know, just about the same year everyone's contract at Chelsea runs out. So <laughs> at that point we will have finally seen the amortisation of uh, Moises Caicedo. <laughs> so Marley went up the tip on Sunday, Joel.
2: If you had to choose one of the games to watch tonight, Burnley against Wolves or Luton against Arsenal, or go to the tip, which one are you choosing to watch and which one are you saying, nah, I'm going up the tip, can't be arsed with this?
1: I'm going to the <laughs> tip regardless for that one. <laughs> um, I mean, for Luton, I feel like they have good watch value whenever it's at Kenilworth Road. If it's... Oh, it is at Kenilworth Road as well. So actually, I'd be more inclined to tune into that just to see Tahith Chong do another masterclass against a a Giant. But the Wolves one at the moment, I feel like whenever you tune into Wolves, you're guaranteed to just see Gary O'Neill at the end of the game absolutely fuming about something to do with VAR. So you just know there's going to be a little bit of controversy there. Last week, you were at a midweek football match,
2: a League One game. You came to watch Portsmouth with me. We don't really get to see Premier League games midweek because obviously there's loads of cups and the European clubs are normally in action every other week or every three weeks. Do you like it? Midweek Premier League action under the lights or are you a Saturday three o'clock guy? Because that's what we've been used to. And as a football league supporter, I've been used to Tuesday nights home away for years. It's kind of weird to me to think that the Premier League doesn't play more Tuesday nights, but obviously scheduling... Is a huge problem the managers are always going on about it the players are talking about their welfare so what do you make of it because you only get a couple of these a season i think there's one early december and one early january and of course around christmas nobody knows what day
1: it is so there's games all over the place during the week so you a fan i don't know i feel like i'm more accustomed to it around the festive period just because everyone's got a little bit more time and there's just games rolling in thick and fast Whereas I feel like last year when it was the World Cup, for example, even though it was great, it felt like there was just too much damn football. And I never thought I would say that because obviously it's great to watch them. But when the games are just constant, and obviously we're working within football as well, where we're constantly talking about it non-stop as well. I just feel like midweek games, I've always, I've always associated with European football. Although I don't really mind having it in the midweek. But I think for now, as the system is, is perfectly fine, but I feel like this deal that has just happened with the Premier League is more so just a ploy to stop people talking about the 3pm blackouts on the weekend, that's more so what it is, I don't think it's for anything else, they seem to be going with this Brexit style, 350 million to the NHS with 70% more games for everyone to watch, forgetting that we can't watch any of them at 3pm on a Saturday. I mean, choose your poison, but I prefer to be able to have access to the majority of the games, not just the ones that they choose to select for us, like the one Marley had to select at the weekend.
2: I do kind of get it though, keeping the 3pm blackout in place. And I understand that if you want to find a live stream at three o'clock on a Saturday, you'll be able to find one. I'm not saying that it's the right thing to do, but a lot of people listening to this podcast will know exactly what I'm talking about. If you want to watch a Premier League game at a certain time, you'll be able to find it if you know where to look. But the 3pm blackout's there to protect tradition, I guess you could say, or the smaller clubs in the country, Mali. Let's use Gateshead as an example to do with your club, Newcastle. If Newcastle are away, some people might choose to go and watch Gateshead or South Shields at three o'clock on a Saturday and they'll put money into that club. Whereas if the game was at three o'clock and they could watch it from the comfort of their own home, Gateshead then lose that money, for example. So that's kind of what it's there for.
3: Yeah. Um and that is that is why we've always got to have the three o'clock game, but that's that's the fight. Yeah, sorry, the three o'clock blackout, but that is the fight that's on the the hands at the minute. You know, everybody we live in a world now where everything is on demand and everything is televised. Um and you know, there's there's everything. It's just ease and, and ease of of uh, accessibility. Um and where other leagues coming through? You look at the Saudi League, and they, you know, I don't know what their schedule is right now, but in the next few years, you'll probably be able to watch back to back to back to back games, like games that kick off at twelve pm, two pm, four pm, six pm, eight pm. Probably, you know. Three well, our days. American
2: listeners will be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember being in Vegas a few years ago and going into Caesar's Palace Casino, and they've got a big like sports bar area with more TVs than you've ever seen in your life. And I remember being in there quite early in the morning, sort of maybe 9 or 10 a.m. And there was an American football match on already. And then we must have got back into the casino later that night, maybe 11 p.m., something like that, as we were heading to one of the nightclubs. And Gridiron was still on. I was like, this is not highlights from the game earlier and someone was like no 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 it's a different game and on a Saturday or a Sunday they just stack them up so one game will kick off at 10 another at 12 another at 2 4 6 8 etc so that's a model that clearly works in America
3: do you think we might see that here then I think eventually yeah because you know tradition gets gets over overlooked by modern tendencies and if you want to bring in you know, I think if you look at the Premier League, the way it's going, you look at um, the all the proposals they're thinking of, and it's to appeal to an international market. They're thinking of the 39th game. Um, you know, there's been talk of you know all star games at the end of the seasons and things like that, and they, they consider it. And it's all it's not for a British audience. It's for uh, America and Asia and the Middle East countries. So. Ultimately, you're always going to have that fight, and that fight leads to having every game to be able to be accessed, um, and that is probably eventually going to lead to the the wipeout of the three o'clock um, three o'clock blackout. But you'll probably see clubs like Gateshead then struggle because they they've only got the diehard Gateshead fans, of which there's a couple of thousand. It's not enough to sustain a club. You would you would think so. Yeah, it's um it's not quite. Uh, sustainable for everyone someone's going to be the big loser and ultimately in life it's the it's the less financially capable that that will lose out I'll tell you what we
2: will be getting from 2024-25 though Joel you mentioned you link
1: midweek games with European football Champions League match of the day yeah but who wants that I just want ITV to be back with Clive Tillsley and Lawrence next to him just bringing back the old days I mean the thing is with the Champions League, I do actually see that as a problem because when I was younger, that was the only time I could ever watch the Champions League in European games. Now, if you don't have a subscription at home, you literally miss out on all European football except the final. So every May, typically, many people may never be able to watch a Champions League game until it's the final, which is absolutely pathetic. And that's why, the same with the Premier League as well, Match of the Day is the only time you, you used to be able to watch Premier League games, because it was an expensive subscription if you're not going off the radar and going onto these uh, these streaming services that'll have viruses infecting your left, right and centre and your computer, you don't really want to be doing that. So that's why I think it's more so just an accessibility thing, to be honest, that I have an issue with. and. Now we're seeing the reason why ITV probably don't even have these rights anymore is because the bubble has burst completely. It's just not feasible, not feasible. Why would ITV now look at the rights that, I I don't know the actual figures, but I'm guessing from the early 2000s, what they paid per game compared to what it is now is absolutely astronomical. I mean, I bet it beats inflation times by 10 in terms of how much it's increased. So that's why we're seeing a monopoly. Sky Sports have all their hands in all the pies and that's why they're trying to run this 70% more games. Okay, that's great. But in terms of people, like for example, at the weekend, no one was able to watch that Liverpool 4-3 against Fulham because only people on the Western Hemisphere were able to watch it. What On what planet is should that be? Accessible in the very country that it is being played, we cannot watch it. To me, that is absolutely baffling and I would be so surprised if attendance started to drop because although we're talking we talk about these local clubs and we've seen it firsthand. we're forgetting that they have a lot of loyalty towards their club as well. We saw it on that Tuesday at Portsmouth. It was nearly a flipping sellout and there was Champions League games on that night. Very big Champions League games as well. They could have easily stayed at home. It was freezing
3: that night but they still go out and support their team. That's the only reason I didn't come with you, because I was watching Newcastle (laughs) at PSG.
2: (laughs) Well, to be fair, on that point that you make, if Portsmouth were back in the Premier League, you will see more day-trippers. You will see more tourists with tickets, because when you tout your product out to the whole world and you say, look how great it is, you are going to get people that come and watch it for the experience and not because they're a fan. Or people that maybe aren't as diehard a fan will be in and amongst the supporters. And I think that then you do dilute the purity, for want of a better term, of the match-going crowd because of that. It's like when you discover a band when they're fresh and new, and you go and watch them in a small venue, and then all of a sudden they become this huge global phenomenon and then you end up watching them in an arena with thousands of other people and the atmosphere
3: just isn't the same and it's yeah no one knows the words no one knows the exactly yeah. Marley so I've done I've done it with I've done it with Sam Fender i would seen him in you know 300 capacity right at the start and it's I'm not one of these who goes oh, I liked him before they were famous but then I watched him the next time and it was in a couple of thousand and it was still good then I watched him at Castlefield Bowl in Manchester and there was 8000 and there was just people like completely yeah, completely for one drunk. Song. Somebody somebody pointed out that he had a keyboardist and he always did. You know, somebody playing the keyboard. He was like, oh, I didn't know he had a keyboard. Like, what? How, how did you pay for a ticket? You've I mean, clearly never seen the band before. And then I seen him at St. James's Park and that was completely <laughs> different because it's a stadium and it's in his hometown and stuff. So you know people. Know. Um, but I wouldn't go now and watch him at the AO Arena in Manchester or something like that because it's just... People who know one or two songs. It's the same with Premier League. Newcastle are having the problem at the minute. There's um, there's there's too many tourists coming to the game, and the atmosphere is going down slightly um, because the tickets are being run on a ballot scheme. So it's just a complete chance of who gets it, and it's not being um, waited for season ticket holders and you know those who are there waiting for for the ticket lines to open type of thing. It's going to, you've got to win a lottery to get a ticket, which is, it's it's wrong, but um, hopefully they'll learn from it. Yeah, I mean,
2: that's the thing. I think the difference between, I mean, it it goes back to what you were saying, Joel, and you referenced that game that we went to last week in League One when it was cold. It it goes back to that where the gulf between the lower leagues and the Premier League is so big now that you are going to see stuff like that. You separate the wheat from the chaff when you do go through tough times as a fan base you know. and there are people that are in that crowd on Tuesday that you stood next to that have watched the club go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows
1: and it just goes back to what Marley was saying about issues with ticketing when you start to reach these heights of kind of publicity let's say the clubs actually want more tourists in, it it almost goes against, it becomes a fan versus club kind of situation because for them to extend their brand into these different regions, which ultimately is the goal. To keep up with all these big clubs, you have to expand, expand your brand into different demographics of the world. And so Newcastle will want people from Korea coming in. They will want people from America and Australia coming to support the team because it just spreads their brand even further. And although they love to stress how, oh, we got a loyalty scheme and, you know, we want to keep the local fans in mind. Ultimately, when you start losing control and it starts to unravel and we've seen it, when I, when I was at that Burton Stadium, it literally seemed like a different sport because you are seeing, on one hand here, the local people who are at the forefront of that club where they are literally the heartbeat of it, and then you go to clubs in the Premier League now and they're almost the second thought in terms of who who is actually getting prioritised. We saw it at Manchester United when all the Galatasaray fans got into all of the hospitality sections and all the home sections. Why? Because they get charged a premium to go and sit there. So at the end of the day, clubs almost start to detract away from the actual fan base. And we've seen it over the years now. And it is kind of sad, but it's just its own beast in itself. The snowball got rolled down the hill in the, in 1992 or whatever it was. And there's no way of stopping it because the cream always rises to the top when it comes to these kinds of products. Everyone loves the Premier League because it's, in terms of entertainment value, the best league in the world by an absolute mile. But then you can't stop it because there's just so much money involved. we have seen states get involved in it. we have seen tycoons get involved in it. We have lost control of it completely now. And that's, I guess, the double-edged sword of it, isn't it, really? To see all these great players come to the Premier League, which we've come to love and enjoy, and the reason why it is, how good is it is, the double-edged sword is that you lose control of it very quickly. And all these different people, big stakeholders, start to have their hands in control of it all, and that's the issue that I see with it.
2: On that note, should we talk about some of the games tonight in the Premier League?
1: (laughs) I forgot about that. I was thinking of the tip at the start. I don't really care. Well, it's Burnley
2: (laughs) against Wolves at Molyneux and Luton. Welcome Arsenal to the Kenny. We'll talk about them next on FSD. It's
1: time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.
2: Welcome back, this is Football Social Daily, an award-winning podcast talking about all things Premier League. The latest news and opinion can be found on this show from myself, Marley and Joel. So thanks for joining us and if you like what you hear, why not hit subscribe or leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And that way if you do hit subscribe or follow, you'll never miss an episode when the next one is released, you'll be notified right away. Okay, tonight there are two Premier League games as we begin our midweek slate of fixtures for early December. There's far more games tomorrow, but just the two tonight to start match week 15. Let's begin at Molyneux with the 7.30 kickoff. Wolves against Burnley. Now, Burnley got a huge win at the weekend. Marley against Sheffield United. They beat them 5-0. That was a relegation scrap between the two sides who were bottom and second bottom respectively. It was a result which has since cost Paul Heckingbottom his job and it was confirmed today that the Blades have replaced Heckingbottom with Chris Wilder as we thought might be the case on yesterday's Football Social Daily. But in terms of tonight, how much do Burnley need to use that momentum and that confidence from beating Sheffield 5-0 to go to Molyneux and try and get another win and try and claw themselves back closer to safety.
3: Well, they've they've got a a rare sort of chance to um, to build on some momentum now. I think I think they've won one game before the weekend, um, and now they've won. You know, had to wait quite a few weeks for another win. So, you know, a five nil win. If you haven't got confidence after that in in everything, I know there was mitigating circumstances. It was, you know, against ten men. It was at home. Blah blah blah. But you can't be looking at Wolves and saying, oh, we'll be lucky, lucky to get something there because ultimately Wolves are, they're not down there with you, but they're not far off. And they're, they're the type of team you should be looking at uh, trying to beat. Um, so yeah, they should be, should be full of, full of beans really and, and trying to, try to go and build on a win um, to, uh, to try and put some wind in the sails type of thing.
2: Especially considering with Luton hosting Arsenal, which we'll talk about in a sec, Joel. If they beat, Wolves tonight at Molyneux and we presume that Luton do lose to Arsenal that puts them out of the relegation zone so that's as big an incentive as any isn't it
1: yeah 100% I think these promoted sides when they get these victories especially against the likes of Sheffield United the ones that they come up with I mean a 5-0 win when you look at the games that Burnley had played previously they couldn't hit a barn door and to then get Turf Moor enjoying five goals. I mean, I can't remember the last team. My team got five goals, let alone little old Burnley. So for them, it's just a such a huge confidence booster. And then to go against a Wolves side who will most likely have some kind of VAR decision to contend with during the game, uh, you've got every chance, haven't you really? But you know what? In terms of Wolves, I've actually grown to have them as my kind of You're like a little dark horse that you vie for every weekend because they just seem to be getting hammered down. All I'm seeing Gary O'Neill do is raise his blood pressure in press conferences. That's all I'm seeing him do. I want to see him at the end of a game say, Great refereeing performance. We won the game nicely. Let's go on to the next one. But no, it always has to be some kind of. I went and went. I went and seen the Premier League referee in the tunnel. Didn't say anything to me. We're not going to do a complaint. It's always just a perpetual cycle of just VAR nonsense. So I, I'm actually vying for Wolves this season. Weirdly enough.
2: Well, actually, if you look at Wolves' last five games, they've only won one of those matches. But it doesn't tell the whole story, as Joel says. There was the two-two at the end of. October against your team, Marley Newcastle United. And obviously Gary O'Neill had his questions over the penalty decision that was given in that game. They then lost 2-1 at Sheffield United, which was a big blow. That was a last minute goal that they conceded there. They then turned the tables the next week with a last minute win over Spurs before the international break. Before last Monday against Fulham, they lost 3-2. Some real baffling decisions in that game to do with penalties and red cards. And then they went and lost to Arsenal on Saturday, just gone. So no real shame in that. So just the one win from five with three defeats and a draw from those other games. But as Joel says, it, it doesn't really tell the whole story of Wolves' season. They could easily be on more points than what they have because of those decisions.
3: Yeah, I think um, if you count off some of the, the decisions that have gone against them and the points that's cost them, I think I counted up a couple of weeks ago. They were, they were missing out on seven points. Um, you know, the Luton handball did them out of two points. The Newcastle one did them out of th- three points. I think. So you look at that and you say that they'd be comfortably, you know, mid-table if... Um... That would
2: put them eighth, level on points with Brighton. Oh,
3: there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's, I'm sure Gary O'Neill doesn't want to hear that as well. He doesn't, doesn't want to spend too much but time But is that why, that? as
2: Joel says, that his blood pressure is going through the roof every post-match press conference and he's saying things like we discussed last week on the podcast, it's damaging my reputation as a manager? Because if Gary O'Neill has Wolves eighth in the table, level on points with De Zerbe's Brighton, who everyone loves and admires in terms of his style of play and what he's managed to do with this Brighton team, then he's right, isn't he? Surely he yeah. would be getting more applauded. Well he would be, it's undoubted. Yeah, of
3: course. He's he's right. Um and that's 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 what's so frustrating for him. He knows he's right. Um he knows he's right when he's watching the decisions and that's the that's the frustrating thing for him. But um yeah I don't I don't think Wolves are, are good enough to be eighth in the league, funnily enough, but it's It's just one of them, it's it's football where it works in, you know, the ho- the whole saying of, oh, it might level itself out it'll level itself out at the end of the season, it won't not in Wolves' <laughs> case, not a chance of they getting eight or six or whatever it is, you know, positive decisions, like absolute howlers go their way um, because everyone would just be like, well, corruption <laughs> do you know what I mean? It would that's what it is against them at the minute, that's how bad it is for them, but they're not a bad team. They're not. They're nowhere near bad enough to go down or anything like that. So, I think they'll end up, you know, just trundling along, finish fourteenth, thirteenth, something like that. In there with your Crystal Palace and West Ham's.
2: And they've lost the last couple of games, obviously against Fulham. We mentioned those decisions in that game and against Arsenal. But they've been missing some quite important players. Mario Lamina and Craig Dawson, respectively, have both been suspended at different times in the last couple of games. Pedro Neto has been a huge miss for them, Joel. He's been electric, actually, at the start of the season and was at the heart of all of the good things they did. So he's had selection problems to contend with as well, injuries, suspensions, that
1: sort of thing. So they've not even been at full strength. Yeah, they're massive overachievers, I would say, at this stage of the season. I mean, when you contextualise it all to the fact that he came into the job Having been let go from Bournemouth I think very very harshly. To then have to contend with FFP regulations of having to sell his two best midfielders and not really get quality in you would say or like for like quality and then to have to contend with all these VAR issues that he's had in quite a lot of his games as well. To then be on 15 points and pretty far from the relegation zone Honestly, he's probably one of my managers of the season so far. And I know everyone will start looking towards the guys at the top, like Ange and Klopp and Guardiola and whoever else. The guys in the bottom end really deserve the same amount of credit, if you're being honest, because they're having to contend with ridiculous amounts of pressure from so many different areas of the club. And the fact that also he got one over his uh, old Bournemouth as well, I feel like that just stuck the knife right in uh, the other month as well. But for me, easily up there with one of the managers of the of the season so far.
2: Okay, well, Gary O'Neill is back at Molyneux tonight. Wolves have been all right at home, actually, this season. They'll be hoping for something similar as Vincent Kompany takes his Burnley side there off the back of a 5-0 win against Sheffield. So that's the half-seven kickoff, and then 45 minutes later, so just whilst it reaches half-time, scroll along one tile on your Amazon Prime and you'll be able to watch this one. Luton against Arsenal at Kenilworth Road. Now, we always mention about Luton and how I predicted them to stay in the Premier League this season. So I'll get it in there before... Champions League. I'll get it in there before (laughs) you boys take the piss too much. But they are on nine points at the moment. They're 17th and they're two points clear of the drop zone right now. Now, obviously that will change if Burnley win against Wolves and Luton lose to Arsenal. So in terms of their situation they surely deserve a decent amount of credit and praise for not being rock
3: bottom really because that's what everyone predicted them to be yeah 100% i think um luton <laughs> luton have got a rare situation where just every game is is a cup final almost you know they just there's no pressure on them at all everyone expects them to go down they're vastly out of their depth if you look at the quality in the squad you know only ross barkley and andreas townsend um pretty much maybe to Heath Chong if you want to if you want to stretch it as in not as in played the Premier League before not not as in been incredible well Barkley and Townsend
2: be... are experienced Premier League players I would say I wouldn't even say yeah. Chong comes anywhere close to that but I know what you mean N-
3: no but at least he's been around the Premier League like, He sat on the bench a few times hasn't he, for Man United I think I've day. been
1: around the Premier League more than him <laughs>
3: All right. Well, I did say it was a stretch to be fair. So if you, you can, yeah, you can snap that one off if you like, but it's, I think that helps them. I think Sheffield United and Burnley are different because Burnley have been there, you know, Burnley spent seven consecutive years in the Premier League, um, and are coming back up with this new style and they're almost expecting it to be better. Um, it's not really worked out like that so far. And they've you know, they've got less, you know, fewer points than Luton at the minute, I think, um, and then you look at Sheffield United and they come up and they've been there before and, you know, they they kind of do expect to have a little bit more of a, a go. Um, and they've been beat 8-0, 5-0 by rivals, just at the manager. Um, and it's a bit different, but with, with Luton, I mean, Rob Edwards could lose, you know, 30 games out of 38 and, you know, still be all right. They'd, they'd go back down with him and they'd be stronger for it because they'd have all the Premier League money, the parachute money, and the club is better as a as a whole because uh, they haven't spent daft money this summer. They've they signed Barkley and Townsend on free transfers. Um, Chong for four million from Birmingham or whatever it was. So, you know, it, it's one of them where everything's free for them and they'll they'll look at Arsenal tonight and they'll be right up for it. Um, and they, they might get absolutely, you know, smashed. They might get beat five, six, nil, but they probably won't because they'll they'll treat it as if it's an FA Cup third round game and have that mentality of if we lose, we lose. Sod it. I quite like that about Loon.
2: Do they have a sort of sense of the Blackpools about them? Remember in twenty ten when Blackpool got promoted, they were there for a season and Orange. Care. Is that what, like <laughs> DJ Campbell and Marlon Hayward? Yeah, and cool. Ian Holloway yeah. was the manager. Charlie. Charlie. Adam, Adam as well. pulling the strings and everything, yeah, man. Yeah,
3: yeah. That was that was a quality side.
2: But they were in the relegation zone at the end of the season and went back down. And it was kind of a the streets won't forget moment. They were there to make up the numbers. With all due respect to Blackpool, do you feel similarly about Luton? Do you? Th- I mean, because you all you both think they're still going to go down.
3: I I don't because Blackpool played pretty good football. Um, I think Luton are a bit different. I remember when Blackpool came into the league and they had DJ Campbell up front who would score a lot of goals every year in the championship, whoever he was playing for. Um, And Charlie Adam, who was sort of considered the best player outside the Premier League, really. Um, And then when, that was probably proved when Blackpool went down and Charlie Adam went to uh, Liverpool. Um, And it was kind of like, you know, oh wow, they, they actually did have some good players, and yeah, it's. it's. I don't get that same feeling from them because I do feel like Luton are, are more pragmatic and a bit more, you know, less sexy. Um, but sod it, you Don't, don't, for, have to don't forget uh, Gary Taylor, Maradona Fletcher <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> GTF, Gary Taylor Fletcher. <laughs>
2: Right, enough on Luton. Let's talk about Arsenal. They are top of the league after all. They're two points clear now at the top of the table after Manchester City drop points, I suppose, against Spurs. They're two points clear of Liverpool in second. Manchester City are third on 30 points. If they win tonight, that then puts them on 36, which is five points clear of Liverpool before the Reds and Man City play later on this week. So good chance to apply the pressure, Joel.
1: Yeah, I'm actually going to praise Arsenal. You can add some dramatic music to this, like a doo But honestly, I think Arsenal... No need, you just did it yourself. So. <laughs> I saved you some work then. I think I saw a little bit of criticism on Sky for Arsenal in the last couple of weeks. I think it was on the back of the defeat against Newcastle where they said something along the lines of they're not as electric as last season. You know, they're not as potent up front. They're not as free-flowing, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, I think they're better than last season and more so because they're so solid at the back. The big stat that stands out for me is the fact that they've only conceded 11 goals, which is far and wide the best in the league at the moment. And I think last season at times they were a little bit defensively suspect, but now they've got real solidity, especially in the midfield with Declan Rice. And I think now that they're at the top of the table, They're not scoring as many goals in each game. I mean, you look at the fixtures that they had this season so far. They had the 1-0 win against City. They had the 1-0 win against Brentford. The 2-1 win against Wolves. It's not like they're blowing teams away, but they're actually doing it in a really professional, kind of grimy manner, I would say. A team that is going for a Premier League needs to do these kinds of results. It can't be every game 4-0. You're wiping out every opponent. It actually actually needs to be a case of grinding out your results slowly. And I think as time goes on, they probably will start getting a little bit more free-flowing. But I think this season, the fact that they've got, for example, Tomiyasu, who I think is a massive player for them at right-back. You've had Saliba and Gabriel, who've been relatively injury-free this season so far. I think this season's going as good as it could get for them so far for me. So I think right now they're in a really strong position.
2: Well, we'll wait and see what happens tonight at Molyneux and at Kenilworth Road. Wolves Burnley, Luton Arsenal, the two games this evening and some tasty ones tomorrow as well. Chris Wilder begins his reign for the second time in the Premier League as Sheffield United boss at home to Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. Aston Villa take on Manchester City. Now that will be a big game that we will definitely get stuck into on tomorrow's podcast, two sides currently in the top four. It's third against fourth there. And of course, Manchester United against Chelsea will be interesting to discuss as well on Wednesday night at quarter past eight. Eric Ten Hag has gone about banning some newspapers
1: from his press conference today, Joel. So You know what? And rightly so as well. These guys literally use United as a cash cow just to pay for their paper. And it's about time during winter Alex Ferguson and warned them is a really viral video Back in the day, when he basically was like, "Your job is to tell the truth," and then they all kind of just went silent. That was a poor Scottish accent, by the way. I thought that was quite good. Did you actually, yeah. I thank nice one for that. man. Don't do
2: it again, though. Yeah,
1: <laughs> quit while you're ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm retiring now from my accents. <laughs> I remember
2: him boycotting the BBC for a yeah, long time. Yeah, I always remember it, yeah. being quite young, actually, and asking my dad why. Sir Alex Ferguson was never on Match of the Day but all of the other managers were and obviously this was prime Mourinho years where Mourinho was you kind of almost watched Match of the Day to see what Mourinho said after the game as much as anything and Sir Alex was never on there so I always remember asking my dad why was that and obviously there was that situation
1: but it was because of his son wasn't it I think they criticised him while he was the manager of Peterborough and he didn't like the way he criticised him so he said I'm just not talking to you for however long it takes which I mean you're going to defend your children aren't you I guess but I think in this circumstance, it's really warranted. I think United have come out and said a statement today along the lines of the fact that they're not saying that journalists can't say what they want, but the fact that they're angry that they didn't come to the club to clarify it or get some context or to see if there was actual truth in it, which for me, it seems like United is such an easy cl- club to kick the can down the road when things are going bad and everyone leaps on it. I mean, you saw Kavi Solheckel, the chief... Sky Reporter yesterday. It just made me laugh so much. His opening line was My information for what it's worth and I just stopped listening from there because it's not really worth too much to be honest with the info that he comes out with. But Yeah, for me, I think it is well, well, well long overdue. I think there's consequences for spreading rubbish rumours that there probably is no truth in it.
2: All right, well, that will do for today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform and that way tomorrow when the next episode is out, you'll be notified and you'll get a chance to download it. But that's it from Joel, Marley and I for today. Catch you next time on FSD. Speak to you then.
0: Social Daily is a Voice work Sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
3: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
3: Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy Judy. <laughs>